back, everybody. Here is another episode of Waking Up with Wandy on the Stock Showdown podcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, this is the third podcast today. Uh, very excited to have another special guest with us here today. We have Justin Klein here with us this afternoon uh, here on this beautiful January uh, afternoon here in Sparta, New Jersey. Uh, Justin, a little bit of background on Justin Klein. He drives the KPP financial asset allocation strategy, creates strategic market forecasts, and analyzes individual investments. He joined KPP financial back, way back, probably before most of my high school students even, even graced to planet Earth here. Uh, I'm not trying to make you sound old there, Justin. Because oh, <laughs> I get it all the time from my kids. Like, you were born in what year? Uh, so back in 02, researching and analyzing securities and mutual funds. Uh, since 06, he's hosted the daily. Since 06, people, we're talking 15 years here, a daily radio yeah. program and podcast called Invest Talk. So I'm well, well far uh, late to the game as I've been only podcasting since last year. Justin has been doing this since seasoned vet since 05, uh, excuse me, 06, 15 years, which again is older than some of my students. Uh, so enough uh, of me touting uh, Mr. Klein here. I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Klein as he's got a, a series of other accolades, which we're going to delve into here. But uh, I thank Justin Klein for joining us here on the Stock Showdown podcast. So everybody, Justin Klein, thank you. Thank you, Willie. Thank you for having me. And you'll, uh, you'll be happy to know my, my stepdaughter says that, uh, me and my girlfriend, that we were born in the olden days. <laughs> so, I, uh, <laughs> You're not the only one whose kids make you feel, uh, feel, feel old. Well, yeah, my students will be like, you were born in the 1900s? Yes, <laughs> I was born in the 1900s, if you really want to be. The olden days. Yes, the yeah. olden days. Back in the olden days when we used to walk to school 15 miles in the snow barefoot. Yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, thanks for having, having me here. Uh, I'm excited to talk about whatever's on your mind. Hopefully uh, impart some, some wisdom. I've, I've gathered a lot of noon for over 20 years I've been, I've been licensed now and uh you know we our show invest talk is a podcast video show and podcast uh 06 it was still a radio show we started podcasting basically take our show cut it up to about a 55 50 minute uh podcast and put it out we've been doing this since uh, 08 so yeah we're going on 14 years here uh podcasting Pretty big audience and uh as growing you know uh podcast platforms are are accelerating especially with the pandemic and you know it's good we, i get a lot of newer investors as well so i think your uh, your high school audience uh, will, will appreciate that because I've, I've i've learned a lot throughout history on uh the pitfalls and especially newer investors you know they, they see shiny objects and and oftentimes they get misled by those shiny objects so let's talk. Let's go right into it, Justin. Thank you. Great intro. So let's talk about some of these shiny objects. Uh, I think some of these shiny objects gather and gain a lot of traction, um, um, you know, mean things and things like that, that, um, you know, my kids, my students gravitate towards because, again, it's, it's shiny and, and, and it grabs their attention. But we're talking about, and again, it, it doesn't have to be a hard asset. <laughs> Uh, or a tangible one for that matter, but we're talking about little cryptocurrencies here, and that has gained major traction and headlines, and my students talk about it or want me to talk about it all the time, and obviously with it making headlines probably since the beginning of the year, 
um, if not towards the tail end of last year, where we're hitting all you know all time highs on Bitcoin, and now we're seeing like a fifty percent retracement. Um, give us some insight uh, on on what you think about these you know you know these th th this market right now and what's transpiring, and any insight you could provide would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I'm a big believer in cycles. There, there are good times, there are bad times for all asset classes, and, and um, it, it often is driven by investor psychology. So I use the analog, you know, when I was coming up in high school uh, and college, it was kind of around the first, I call it the first uh, tech bubble. You know, right now we're kind of going through this uh, current busting of the tech bubble I call 2.0, but your high school students, like you said, they weren't around then. And even kind of uh, younger millennials, they were probably uh, they were probably in in grade school or, or they were toddlers at that time, so they didn't really have a memory of that period. Okay, and you know I'm an I would call myself uh, an old millennial, right? In my late 30s, so I'm I'm an old millennial, but I, I was I was cognizant enough to understand, especially because my my grandfather who founded our firm, he was my mentor, and I I kind of sat in. Uh, and, and interned with him in high school and in college. So I really saw that firsthand. Now, I didn't do a whole lot, but at least I, I understood what, what, the, what was happening back then. And so what you are getting now is a lot of these young investors that don't have memory of that and aren't scarred by that period. And they get, uh, they're getting roped into a lot of shiny objects, whether that's cryptocurrency, whether it's tech stocks that are going gonna, to uh, take over the world or disrupt uh, certain industries or it's a Tesla, something like that. And they, and they get enamored by these things and, and it becomes almost cult-like and they don't really understand the fundamentals. They're just simply riding the price and they're, and they're, and they're chasing uh, returns. Okay. Um, and there's no, there's a, there's a saying that I heard recently. It's a great one that um, you can never, you, you can keep chasing returns, but you'll never catch it. Uh, and that's what a lot of people do is they they, they just chase those returns. Um, uh, now, what we're going through now is uh, liquidity is tightening, and that means speculative assets uh, are imploding. Um, and cryptocurrency is just one of those. Now, does that mean cryptocurrency is going away? No. Dot-com tech, tech stuff didn't go away. Those companies didn't go away. But guess what? Their valuations dropped dramatically. The NASDAQ dropped uh, about 70% from peak to trough. And there were the vast majority of the exciting tech names in the late next uh, either went out of business or were bought out at drastically lower levels or uh, they're still sitting, you know, a uh, single digit stock price or even the successful ones, the Cisco's of the world. Uh, they're trading still below where the price was at peak in 2000. Why? Because their business didn't uh, their business growth didn't meet the market expectations during that time. Um, and there are only a handful of the, the Googles and the Amazons of, the, uh, of, of that period that survived to today uh, and, and are active above the price. So the uh, same thing is going to happen with cryptocurrency. There's going to be a lot that, that go defunct and worth nothing. Uh, and, and there's going to be uh, an evolution of, uh, of cryptocurrency and using blockchain and decentralization. I think that trend is going to continue over the long term, but uh, there's who knows what's actually going to survive 20, 30 years from now. And it may not even be something in existence today of uh, the Facebooks of the world. 
uh, who, you know, and the Netflix, the Netflix uh, online thing didn't happen until way after the tech bubble. Facebook didn't even come to existence until about 2004, well past the first of the tech bubble. So then the, the, the companies that are were successful uh, in the tech space, some of them uh, didn't exist until well after the, the first bubble burst. And I think the same thing will be with crypto. There might be a next uh, version of, of Ether or Solana uh, that comes about in, in three or five or 10 years. And that's now the leader of the digital platforms that are developed. Uh, and, and maybe Bitcoin survives, but maybe Bitcoin is a smaller part of uh, the, the crypto network and, and the price today is drastically higher than it is in the future. It's hard to really say, uh, but we're, we are in that bust, bust period. And I think in the ashes, when uh, you get into, uh, everyone forgets about it, everyone doesn't talk about it anymore. That's when it's more interesting because I do think there is a lot of still a lot of energy in the community and that will continue and that will develop uh, new applications, new value uh, propositions for uh, crypto and blockchain. And I think uh, that will be a better environment to be investing as opposed to today where you're getting kind of bursting of this, uh, this bubble. Wonderful. Um, I appreciate the insight because again, it's, it's, it's always making the headlines and you know, this one is making millions here uh, and here's their YouTube channel and this is how they did it. And I, I feel like there's just, you know, this, this bubble festering while I appreciate and I think I agree with where we're going, that the technology is here to stay and the applications uh, that are going to use the technology are here to stay. I just think a lot of hype is, is around in the wrong places. And, um, you know, with whether, whether it be EV makers, because that's become very hot and prevalent, or the crypto market, like you just said, or some of these high-flying, high-PE names that I think, again, need to be, <laughs> uh, you know, brought back down a little bit. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the nature, uh, once again, of cycles. And, and new investors, new investors, there's a lot of those, not just to high school students, but just simply people uh, at the start of the pandemic that, uh, we're sitting at home. They were working from home. Maybe they had more time on their hands. They got checks in the mail uh, and they, they wanted something to do with it, something to do. Uh, they couldn't go bet on sports anymore. And so, uh, you know, think of uh, Davey Day Trader from uh, Barstool Sports. You know, he started trading in the markets and there that he brought a lot of people in there. And you can see the number of Robinhood accounts that are open, nice. just brokerage accounts. And that means there's a lot of new money, new investors that uh, and new investors. They want to invest in things that, that are that are interesting and uh, they, they chase momentum. They chase that return. And what you're seeing right now is those people are not hodlers of, <laughs> of uh, you know, their, their Peloton stock or their Zoom stock, which are, you know, and that's why all those are down uh, so dramatically because they got well ahead of their uh, what, what reality was for the business. And uh, now once momentum shifts, you just have a litany of, of, of sellers and that's why those continue to go down. So. Uh, the, what I would say for any new investor is don't just chase the shiny object. Understand the risk versus reward. Understand where you are in the cycle of different asset classes, different sectors. Uh, and right now we're in a shift of days uh, that are all about growth, all about, uh, all about telling a great story into companies that actually have real earnings, real cash, real businesses, as opposed to the hope and uh, the hope that they will turn into uh, great businesses in the future. And that's the, the shift that you're starting to see uh, right now.
So aside from, you know, we'll get to probably your final parting words and the advice you can uh, impart upon my high school students, but we'll get to that uh, a little later. But as far as what's happening right now, what would be your advice? Because I think they pretty much telegraphed um, where they're going, and that's the Federal Reserve uh, in regards to interest rates, because, you know, fact of the matter is we can't keep them at, at zero where they've practically been since 2008. Yeah, there was a, a raise a couple raises, I think back in 15 or something like that, but negligible. But for all intents and purposes, it's basically been free to borrow for the, you know, the, for a very long period of time. So pretty much with the writing on the wall of telegraphing that they are going to start to raise and, you know, there's speculation of how many times they're going to raise, whether it be four this year, six this year, nine over the next two years, et cetera, et cetera. How does, how does one now position itself um heading into something like that um aside from and i think again you hit it in the last piece in that last answer was looking for those companies with sustainable cash flow and sustainable profitability any other suggestions you can provide heading into this climate um that should be ensuing here shortly yeah well i, I think the first thing is to understand inflation uh, and you know while inflation's numbers are high today uh, and they're, they're likely to moderate uh, this year. It's not going to be as bad. I remember we had an inflation webinar uh, for our invest stock audience back in November, which you can find on our YouTube channel if you ever want to head over there. Uh, but we talked about kind of longer term drivers of inflation. That you've seen the secular shift uh, in inflation. Everyone wants to talk about the 70s. Uh, and, and 70s were kind of unique uh, supply chain splashes, similar to what you're seeing today. Uh, but what this is actually more similar to is the post-World War II era, where people were coming back from uh, the war, they were buying houses, there was just uh, you know, a lot of baby, babies being born, right? baby boom generation, uh, and there was just a lot of demand for uh, physical goods. There, were, there was a lot of spending from the government on infrastructure and things like that, similar to what you're seeing today. And the Fed did what was called yield curve control, which uh, I think the, the Fed will, is doing that to an extent if you talk about QE. Uh, and uh, what they did back then was they tried to run inflation for the economy higher than the cost of, of debt. They capped yields, doing that yield curve control uh, on government debt. And slowly, post-World War II, we had similar debt situation that we had have today here in the country, somewhere in the 120 to 130 range, the GDP. Uh, and slowly, over the, the number of, uh, of, of decades, by the early 80s, that was whittled down to about 30%. And that's why you had uh, was able for Paul Volcker back then, if you go study history, to raise interest rates uh, in the early 80s and really clamp down on inflation. Uh, and the reason they were able to do that, because there wasn't a ton of debt in the economy compared to uh, GDP. And so it didn't really crash the economy too much. Um, but it did definitely uh, get inflation a lot lower. And we've, we've been in this period over the last 30, 40 years where inflation has been uh, on a secular decline. A lot of that has to do with globalization and technology. Uh, but we think we're kind of uh, starting to reverse that. Now, we're not going to go, like I said, go back to the 70s. But understanding that a lot of the factors from uh, both the demand side as well as China exporting uh, uh, production there, the cost of labor there continues to rise, and the fact that uh, you know, globalization actually peaked in 08. And so a lot of countries are turning more inward. Think of uh, a part of the, the, the bill that's going through Congress right now uh, is, is talking about chip production. So onshoring more chip production here in the U.S. Uh, and so there's just going to be 
a, a balkanization of a lot of supply chains into uh, back into America and bringing that home. Uh, and that's going to drive the cost of, of goods up as well. So there are a lot of factors that are really uh, pushing uh, inflation uh, a step change higher, about one to two percent compared to what we've experienced over the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, and in that environment, what you're going to have is a Fed that is is, is thinking about having uh, tighter monetary policy over time. Now, I do think the, 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 the markets have overpriced how much the Fed is going to and willing to uh, tighten policy this year. Uh, so I think that's going to get a, a step back. But what you see is, I think, a longer term trend of higher and higher interest rates. And it's going to ebb and flow uh, as usual. But it's just, instead of the tendency to keep interest rates near zero, which you've had since the financial crisis, uh, they're going to try to uh, get that interest rate a little bit higher as inflation kind of stays up in the three to four range over the long term. Now, do you feel because of the, I guess, telegraphing that the Fed has has laid out as far as interest rates um, that you could see or have seen the demand for loans via mortgages and directly related to housing kind of accelerate the appreciation in real estate values because people know that the Fed at some point has to raise rates let's get in this now before the, you know, the rate of my mortgage goes from you know, whatever, 3% to 5%. And, and that has uh, you know, kind of accelerated the, the appreciation and housing value, obviously because of the pandemic that has also accelerated. But do you think that there's also a tie-in with that as well? No, not really. I think this is more of a supply demand issue. Uh, and uh, because of the pandemic, the supply of, of labor has been has been more difficult. And uh, just lead times for uh, products getting there to actually uh, complete the home uh, has been longer. And so the, the normal supply response hasn't been as strong. Uh, and you 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 have the, the input costs going up as well. And so the, the cost of a, a new home is is higher. Uh, the, the home builders want to still make their margins, so they're raising prices. Supply is still relatively tight, uh, and so uh, that has, has, has driven prices more broadly up. Now, with this recent increase in interest rates, that has changed the uh, the profitability, not the profit, the affordability metric uh, into something that's more marginal, as opposed to with interest rates kind of uh, mortgage rates at three. Th those higher prices, along with higher incomes somewhat justified uh the, those prices but now i think you are going to see a cooling of the, the housing market overall in the next few years especially if interest rates stay kind of in this three and a half to four percent on the mortgage rate and the fed has talked about pulling back from supporting the mortgage market um so i think those are more the dynamics that are going to drive drive that i think there's very few buyers that are really uh push saying oh and shit's going to go up i have to get in now because it, it, overall it's just really about affordability and whether or, or not they can afford that monthly payment. And if interest rates go up, then they afford less house and then they bid less on the house and that uh, that will impact uh, that market. Uh, and I think that uh, one of the big drivers of the past couple of years is, is, is a move to the gateway cities. And I think if anyone wants to invest in real estate or wants to understand the real estate market uh, nationally, there's going to be a large shift, a continued shift. I think the big whoosh out of uh, you know, the coastal cities where it's very expensive to live into what I call the gateway cities. You're thinking 
you know, Phoenix and, 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 and Vegas and uh, uh, Boise, Idaho, um, uh, the Sun Belt states, all of those regions are getting a lot more uh, people to move in because uh, their home prices are less. A lot of sometimes their taxes are less than Texas. Uh, and so uh, I think that's going to continue. There was the big rush initially. And as more and more people figure out, well, I can still work uh, remotely. I don't need to live in San Francisco or L.A. or, you know, uh, the New England area. Uh, I can go live and then these gateway cities get twice the house for uh, less money and my family can be more comfortable and happier and I can build equity in my home. And I think more and more people is going to be a continued trickle out of those areas. And so uh, uh, that's pushed housing prices up as well because there just isn't the supply in those areas uh, to really meet that, that, that demand. And I think that's going to continue and I would be less bullish on kind of coastal real estate uh, areas uh, and more bullish on those gateway cities. Awesome. Awesome. Great advice. I mean, selfishly <laughs> for myself, I do appreciate that. Um, yeah. Inquisitive myself, uh, realizing, you know, what opportunities are out there. Um, not thinking that it's too late by any regards, because I think you said it right, that there's a lot of pockets out there, gateway cities, that there's still plenty of opportunity out there um, for investors. So uh, yeah, that's reassuring definitely. to me. So thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, Final parting words um, for my high school audience. We're coming short up on time in this this little one here. Um, <laughs> joining us here on the podcast <laughs> might be done. I mean, she's intrigued, don't get me wrong, with everything you have to say here, Justin. <laughs> and you got to start them young. But um, any final parting words um, for a high school student growing up in this day and age, and, yep. and you free reign as far as, you know, investing in equities, investing in the bond market, mutual funds, uh, yes. real estate, crypto, NFTs, wherever you want to go with that response. What advice do you have? Final parting words uh, for my high school audience. Sure. So I think uh, number one is try to eliminate emotions as much as you can. Uh, there's so many. Uh, it's so easy to get caught up in emotions. We are emotional beings. You know, you see your friend making money. Uh, you see your 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 brother or your cousin uh, making money on one thing, and you have to understand uh, what whether that's momentum, if there's true value in that particular asset, or there's uh, you're just chasing a story and a narrative because the fundamentals always uh, come to roost roost at some point. And you know Warren Buffett always says, "Is price is what you pay, but value is what you get." Correct. Price is what you pay and value is what you get. And, and so that's probably my, my biggest, uh, biggest thing I think young investors have to understand is that just because it's trading at that particular price doesn't mean that is the real value that you're getting. And if you're able to separate out the current price and understand what the true value is, then you're going to be successful over the long term and uh try to study the, the the understand the emotions uh and the emotional uh, uh cycle that comes with all asset classes and if you can kind of pinpoint where you are in that cycle you'll be very successful because you'll be able to buy assets cheap and put the odds in your favor and you won't be chasing the shiny object and putting assets into uh prices putting your money into assets where their prices are well above the real value. 
Uh, and, and, and if you can do that, you will be successful. But if you keep trying to keep up with the Joneses, as they, as they would say, or, or chase, uh, chase the, the momentum and the returns, then you're, you're, you're never going to catch it. You're always going to be, a, be failing because you're going to be uh, buying in the frenzy of emotion and selling in the frenzy of, of fear. And so uh, you don't want to be that. You want to be somebody who understands what you're buying. Awesome. Thank you very much, Justin. Um, one thing you said there, keeping up with the Joneses, that's probably what we used to say in the olden days. The olden days, yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, I'm torn on what to name this podcast. I mean, I like Don't Chase the Shiny Object, but I also like the quote that you just dropped from Warren Buffett. Um, my students love that quote. We've done stock pitch competitions. And it always resorts, and there's always that quote from Warren Buffett in there, price is what you pay, value is what you get. So um, thank you very much. Your insight is invaluable. Um, I <laughs> thank this little one here for giving us the opportunity uh, to sit down and chat. And this is Justin Klein and yours truly, Wandy, for the Stock Showdown podcast, signing off. God bless.